All right, all right. How many of y'all are glad to be saved? All right, all right. Uh, uh, huh. I forgot to share this. Hey, tell, tell Dustin if you get a chance to, to, to go. You can do it. You know my codes and all that. Share, share this on my Facebook so my family in Florida can. They follow all the time. They follow Bible study. So I want them to be able to see this. Uh, it's going to be really, really good tonight. Are y'all anticipating God to speak to us? Amen. How many of y'all glad them monkeys went back to school today? <clears throat> yes. Yes. Mine's 16 and I'm still glad. Amen. Amen. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a little brief skit uh, uh, to, to, to kick us off kind of the, as an intro to the lesson. And tonight we're going to look at what happened between the cross and the tomb. What happened between the time he died in the time he rose again. And really, uh, uh, all three of these events that we're going to talk about tonight is what happened right when he died. Specifically, right when he died. Before he ever comes off the cross, this, is, this, this that we're going to talk about takes place. And it is a picture of a lesson that God wants to show us about life itself, his gift of salvation, and everything that goes with that. I'm telling you, I, I, when I was seeing this stuff coming together, when I was just trying to, you know, sometimes we read the Bible and it's just good historical information and it's good. But when you start seeing the puzzle pieces fall into place and you, you see what God is drawing, man, please, amen. So I'm excited, uh, but I'm kind of nervous. I'm kind of nervous because everybody that's in this skit, <clears throat> they knew about it about two hours ago. <clears throat> and so, so. Uh, the staff is a little frustrated with me because I'm supposed to give them plenty of time to put all this stuff together, but I can't help it when my ideas come. Say amen. <laughs> so uh, this is this is just kind of thrown together to give us a a visual image and uh, a, a visual prop and, and and see what happens. So regardless of what happens, if it doesn't happen exactly the way it's supposed to, God is still going to get the glory. Say amen. amen. So let's do this. Let's pray. And uh, let's pray, and we'll begin. So every head bowed, and every eye closed, and, and, and y'all pray. Y'all pray that God will speak to us. If you pray, God will answer, okay? So let's pray, and, 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 and let's just ask the Lord to help us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm so grateful and thankful for your love and your patience and your mercy. I'm so grateful for the opportunity and the, 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 the unbelievable privilege we have to come and study your word and and here you speak to us. And Lord, we ask you to forgive us of anything that would hinder the Holy Spirit from moving tonight. We ask you to touch us now. Lord, move in this place. Use the scriptures to illuminate our minds and open our hearts to the teaching of your word today. And God will thank you. We'll praise you. We'll give you glory for it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, This man calleth for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, Let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion, and they that were with him watching Jesus, saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God.
All right, church, say amen. amen. All of this is taking place. All of this is taking place at the point of it is. Come on, everybody. It is. It is finished. What took place? We find basically three events. Three events happened simultaneously at the time of Christ's death. He cries. I'm not going to go into, I've been trying to, to stay away from going back into a great detail of what we covered last week. Uh, but if you were here last week, you remembered that Jesus is on the cross three hours. Uh, he is he's ministered to his mother. Uh, John, this is your mom. Uh, 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 mother, this is your son. And, and here we go. He takes care of that. He forgives the crowd. He offers forgiveness. You know, uh, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Right? Say amen. amen. Then, then he, he, he deals with the thief on the cross. Uh, uh, he says, remember me. And he said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And, and, and he is converted. God saves him. Jesus saves him. And then at the ninth hour, or we find Jesus at 12 o'clock noon. 12 o'clock noon, uh, darkness covers the earth. God shows up. We saw the darkness representing the presence of God, representing judgment, and representing hell itself. You know, the Bible says they were cast into utter darkness. They were, there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And God came and brought hell with him. And Jesus experienced hell for every man. He experienced punishment. He experienced the judgment of God upon sin for every man. Everything that a lost sinner will ever experience when if he dies without Christ in his sin, Jesus as an infinite being experienced that judgment in those three hours on the cross. If, that's, if you're with me, say amen. And I know this, I'm going fast with this, but if you're confused about that, go back and, and listen. I go into greater detail last week about that. But here we are, uh, the, the, the judgment has been paid, the price has been paid, he has fulfilled the will of God. He said, Tetelestai, it is finished, it is finished, the, the work is done. The job is complete. The will of God, the, 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 the process that, that he had to go through to make sure we were forgiven and we were redeemed has been taken care of. Somebody say amen. And he dies. He gives up the ghost. He gives up the ghost. He cries with a loud voice. And y'all remember last week, uh, uh, most people that has gone through excruciating uh, 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 difficulty in their death like he has, they're so weak and, and, and they have such little life in them that you can barely hear a whisper of them speaking. But the Bible says he cried with a loud voice and he died early. You remember they were all surprised that he was already dead. What do you mean he's already dead? Why? Jesus was letting everyone know the Romans didn't kill me. The Jews didn't kill me. No man takes my life from me. I am voluntarily giving it up. And he commended his spirit into the presence of his father. Say amen. Is that, are we together now? And he died. And he died. And the Bible says in Matthew... The Bible says in Matthew, as we uh, were looking and re we heard a while ago, <clears throat> Jesus, when he cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. So the first thing I want you to see tonight, I want you to see this, this represented, in, in, in the best way we could, uh, to give you kind of a visual image and, and an illustration of, of the veil in the temple. You say, what was the veil? The veil was a curtain that was designed by God and given to them by God to separate the holy of holies and the holy place. Now, if we go all the way back to Exodus and we see God is designing the tabernacle, it was basically their church, right? The Jewish church, it was the place that they would come and be in the presence of God. It was where they would come to meet with God. It was their church. Now, he gave them the design. He gave them the materials to make it and everything to do with it. And so here's, here's, here's the description of it. All right, you come in, and there's, there's the outer courtyard. There's the outer courtyard, and then there is a, a, an inner sanctuary, if you will, and it's called the holy place. Say that with me. It's called the holy place. 
at the holy place. And inside that first area, inside that first sanctuary, it, it, we have the altar of incense and the, 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 the golden candlestick and the table of showbread, all right? And all of them are pictures of Christ, and, and, and we don't have time to go into that, but and just keep this in mind. Every ceremony, every feast, Every sacrifice was a picture that God with the Father was trying to point to you and point you to Jesus. Amen. But here we have, here we have the, the first sanctuary and in there the altar of incense and then we have, then we have the, the table of showbread and the, and the golden candlestick that was to stay lit and, and, and that's a whole other lesson. But now here we are. Now this was a, this was a free place, if you will. Uh, any priest could come into this place. The priests would come in and they would offer incense twice a day. They would offer that incense as part of prayer and part of their, their worship to God uh, twice a day. And, and so as they're serving in here, <clears throat> we find that there is, another, there is another sanctuary. There is another sanctuary called the Holy of Holies. And I, I, remember, I remember our guide in, in, in Israel when we were over there, he would call it the Holy of the Holies. He was, he was with his, his, his dialect and, and his accent, it was really cool. He said this was the holy of the holies. In other words, the holiest spot, the holiest place. This tabernacle was the holiest place on the planet, and this spot was the holiest place in the holiest place on the planet. Are y'all with me? And listen, you could only go in once a year and only by the high priest. So it was a very privileged responsibility, but it was a very dangerous responsibility. Aaron's two sons were killed because they were haphazard and they were careless with the things of God. Now what's the point? Why, why, why should there be a curtain? Why should there be a veil? This is, this is what's inside. This is what's inside of the Holy of Holies. I've got a, I've got a couple pictures I want you to I want you to show, go to, the, go to the other picture first. Go to the other picture first. Do y'all see that blue curtain here? In the Oh, 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 hang on a minute. I got my pointer. <clears throat> yeah. It ain't working. Gave me a de defective pointer. Someone's getting fired. Oh, there it is. There it is. Oh, say amen. Now watch. Watch. This right here is the altar of incense. If you can see on that side, uh, I, I know I was hurt. I, people watching on the internet told me, we can't see your pointer. Amen. So just imagine this. On the right side, on the right side of the veil, this is the veil that separated man from God. All right? This is the altar of incense. If you see that, say Amen. Okay, then we have, this is the Ark of the Covenant, okay? And on top of the Ark of the Covenant is what's called the mercy seat. Say that with me, the mercy seat. The mercy seat would be basically the throne of God, all right? Now, look at this other picture. Look at this other picture. All right, this, this light emanating is, is called the Shekinah glory of God. God the Father is light. All right? He's the invisible God. He is light. God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. This, this, this light represents the Shekinah glory of God. Some scholars, some historians believe that that light could be seen in the wilderness for miles. That light emanated out of the tabernacle. God's glory emanated out of the tabernacle. Why do you think the Queen of Sheba, the Bible says when the Queen of Sheba went into Solomon's temple, it took her breath away. You know why? It wasn't because she hadn't been in a temple. She had been in all kind of false temples and idolatrous temples, but she ain't never been in a temple with a cloud in it and had the glory of God. And see, this, this, this mercy seat, this Ark of the Covenant, it was a symbolic reference and a symbolic image of God's presence. This represented God's presence with Israel. And God's presence was on the other side of the veil. Now let's go back to the other picture. Let's go back to the other picture. All right, this veil right here is the veil that ripped from the top to the bottom. 
If that makes sense, say amen. Now let me read something to give you kind of a historical background of the veil. Josephus, historian Josephus reported that the veil was four inches thick, was renewed every year, and that horses tied to each side could not pull it apart. And it barred all but the high priest from the presence of God. Alfred Eidersheim, in his work, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, he says the veil before the most holy place was 40 cubits, or 60 feet long, and 20 feet wide, of the thickness of the palm of a hand, or basically four inches thick. And it was wrought in 72 squares, which were joined together, and these veils were so heavy that in the exaggerated language of the time, it needed 300 priests to manipulate it. You with me? If the veil was at all such as is described in the Talmud, it could not have been rent in twain by a mere earthquake or the fall of the lintel. Herbert Danby's translation of the Mishnah. Rabin Simon Gamaliel says in the name R. Simon, son of the prefect, he says the veil was one handbreadth thick and was woven on a loom having 72 rods. Over each rod were 24 threads. And its length was 40 cubits, and its breadth was 20 cubits, same, same dimensions. It was made by 82 young maidens, and they used to make two every year, and 300 priests were used to immerse it. In other words, that baby was thick. It, it, it was thicker than most walls are made. It was made. Now, here's the purpose of the veil. The veil was to separate. The veil was to separate. All right, say that with me. It was to separate separate sinful man from holy God. Sinful man from holy God. Why? Because sin separates. 1 John, 1 John, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say that we fellowship with him and we have sin in our life, it says we lie and do not the truth. Are y'all with me? Because sin separates man from God. God had fellowship with man. God walked in the cool of the day with man, Adam and Eve, in the garden. And the moment they sinned, it brought separation. Because God is thrice holy. Listen, holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Four beasts around his throne crying out daily, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And inside of the veil, inside of the holy of holies was the presence of God. And the veil was there to say, stop. You cannot go any further. You cannot come into the presence of God lest ye surely die. This was a serious deal. Listen, I begin to study... I begin to study the high priest and what the high priest would have to do. On the day of atonement, the holiest day of the year, this was when the high priest would go in to the Holy of Holies and offer a sacrifice and, and bring the blood to the mercy seat. And he would place the, the blood on the mercy seat to cover the sins of, and the iniquities of the people. Are y'all with me? Y'all remember Several weeks ago, we talked about he had to offer for himself. He had to offer for the priests and then for the people. You remember? And here's what happens. He would have to take a censer in his hand, which is basically a fire pan. A fire pan full of the coals, full of, see, see, the, uh, uh, see the altar of incense here? See the altar of incense here? He would come and he would take coals, hot coals, burning coals on this fire pan, this censer. And he would take in his hand a big handful of incense. And he would walk into, I'm going to just do it here. Let's imagine it's in the Holy of Holies. He would walk into before the mercy seat. And he would set the censer down. And he would throw and sprinkle that incense on the, on the, on the, the fire pan, on the censer. Now, now uh, uh, Jewish tradition says that the high priest would walk in sideways. As not to gaze on the glory, so as not to die. Are y'all with me? 
And see, the purpose of the incense, it would create a cloud in the Holy of Holies. And according to, I believe it's Leviticus, Leviticus 16, I think. I think, I'm pretty sure it's Leviticus 16. It was for the purpose of covering the Shekinah glory, covering the mercy seat, so that he wouldn't gaze and die. So here he is. Here he is with the censer and with, the, with the, the incense and he's created this cloud so that he would be able to come in and then he would go back out and he would get the blood of the bullock and he would bring the blood for, listen, the sins of the people and offer it for, before God in the mercy seat. And he could not come in but once a year and he could not stay very long. He could not come without blood. But he had to come regularly. He had to come every year. Because this sacrifice of blood of the bulls and of goats would never take away sin. It only had the ability to cover the sins of the people. But the, <laughs> but the Bible says, when Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, our high priest died on the cross, when he said, it is finished, There was no more need for the patterns. There was no more need for the pictures. There was no more need for all of those things that pointed to him. And when he died on the cross, it rendered the temple irrelevant. And the Bible says that the veil ripped from the top to the bottom. Now, what is the significance of that? The significance is this. The veil was there to say, stop You cannot come in. The veil was there to separate sinful man from holy God. But when Jesus died on the cross, it declared, we have access to God. You don't have to be a priest. You don't have to be great. You don't have to be in the lineage of the priesthood. You can be a sinner and come before a holy God because you're not coming in your righteousness or your goodness. You're coming in on the basis of Jesus Christ. Say amen. Watch this right here. This good stuff. We have access. Say it with me. We have. Listen, this this picture, this veil ripping from the top to the bottom At the moment of Jesus' death, it declares the accessibility to God. Hebrews 10, 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness, say it with me, boldness to enter into the holiness by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near, say that with me, let us... Let us draw near with a true heart of full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Ephesians 2.13, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes, he's talking about Gentiles, that's us, who were sometimes afar off made by the blood of, made nigh by the blood of Christ, for through him we both have both, Jew and Gentile. Before it was only Jews and it was only privileged Jews. It was only the high priest and only once a year. But now because of Jesus, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access by one spirit unto the Father. Say amen. Amen. Hebrews 4.14 Seeing then that we have a high priest, a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that mercy seat, that place where God resides, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. You know what that means? Do you know there was not one single Jew In that day, who would have ever dared get even close to the Holy of Holies? Because they had been taught their whole life. They had been told their whole life. They had learned to reverence God and honor God and be in awe of the presence of God. And God is so great and God is so holy and God is so reverent and we are sinners. And we can't come into his presence. We can't draw near to him. But when Jesus died, he said, I want you to come boldly. 
I want you to come in full assurance. I want you to come and not worry about it. I want you to come to me. I don't care who you are. Let what let whosoever will let him say amen. So what is this picture? This picture in this event declares that we have access to God. You don't have to go to a priest. You don't even have to call a preacher. <clears throat> you don't have to get a deacon on your side. No matter where you are. Because of Jesus, you have access to God. Isn't that good? Then, we notice something happened right at the foot of the cross. There was a centurion. Uh, tradition, the writings of Nicodemus said this centurion's name was Longinus. Now, I don't, I don't have scripture for that. It doesn't name him in the Gospels. But according to Jewish historians and some Jewish writers, his name was Longinus. The centurion was responsible. A centurion means responsible for a hundred soldiers. So he, was, he had some authority. He had some power. He was kind of up in rank. But at this point in, in this job responsibility, uh, uh, he was responsible for a quartier. Man, I can't even say it now. I practice this and even watch it on YouTube. <clears throat> Quaternion. Hallelujah. I got that. Quaternion. Four soldiers. Who, were repre who represented and were responsible for the crucifixion. If that makes sense, amen. amen. And we, we, we talked about this last week. I don't want to rehash that to save some time. But they had to come, and, and many writers believe, many writers believe that they were the ones that were also responsible for the beating and for the scourging. In other words, they would take, they would take and be responsible for the whole process of the execution or the crucifixion of a criminal. Does that make sense? And so there's a great possibility, there's a great possibility that Longinus, the centurion, and these soldiers were the ones who beat him with a cat of nine tails and scourged him, ripped open his back, and, 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 and beat him to the point that you could not even tell he was a man. There's a great possibility that these soldiers are the ones who, who put the crown of thorns upon his head and, and took the, the rod that was in his hand that they mocked him with and, and beat him in the head and beat that crown of thorns down into a skull. There's a great possibility that these same soldiers were the soldiers who, who spit in his face and hit them with their fists, even gaped upon them with their mouths. They mocked him. And they pushed him all the way to Calvary, mocking him all the way. It could be, well, I say it could be. We know these are the soldiers that nailed him to the cross, who took his hands and stretched out his arms to the point they were out of joint and nailed his arms to the cross and nailed his feet to the cross. These were the soldiers that mocked him with the wine and and, and gambled over his garments. These were the soldiers who mocked and, and, and uh, uh, put it back into his teeth, as the word says. And now they're sitting there watching him die. They're watching him breathe, and his breathing is getting heavier and heavier. And every single breath is a struggle and is a fight. But there's some things that's taking place. There's some things that's taking place. He's not acting like all the other criminals. He's not fighting back. He's not, he's not trying to resist. Why, why don't he complain? Why don't he beg for his life? They all, all the others did. All the others said, please, please, don't kill me, don't kill me, but... He hasn't said anything. Why don't he defend himself? We heard Pilate. 
We were there. Our boss said that he was innocent. Our boss said that they, he couldn't find any fault in this man. Why don't he defend himself? Uh, just probably some religious nut. Most likely, most likely these soldiers were from Caesarea, which was on the coast where Pilate's headquarters would usually be. I mean, it would just seem to fit that the the big man would have a beach house. Amen. And that's where he would stay and that's where the soul. But this is different because this is a, this is a different feast and this is a different holiday. And man, things could get crazy in Jerusalem. And we, we got to be there just to keep an uprising and keep a mob from taking place. So, so they probably were not even familiar with Judaism. They were not even familiar. Most likely they were idolaters who didn't even know anything about Jehovah. But there's something different about this one. He don't talk like everybody else talks. He don't act like everybody else acts. And as they're gambling over his garment, they hear him say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Did you hear that? He's offering forgiveness for us. Man, this can't be right. What is is going on? Then they hear him talking to the other thief. The thief that in the beginning was mocking him and making fun of him. And he tells him, everything's going to be all right. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. He gave him forgiveness. This is a murderer. This is a, this is a, a murdering thief who was probably in a, 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 a place of insurrection with Barnabas. And, and he, how can he get forgiveness? Then he hears, John, take care of my mama. Now, mama, you go with John. Everything's going to be all right. And then darkness. Wait a minute, man. What's this about? It's 12 o'clock. It ain't supposed to be dark. What in the world's going on? They're probably talking back and forth. They're probably whispering back and trying to figure this out. What's, What's happening? What's happening? What's this all about? I mean, it would be one thing if it was a moment of darkness. It'd be one thing if it was just a few minutes of darkness. But three solid hours of darkness. And no word from the man in the middle. No word. Y'all can imagine how agonizing that must have been. And all of a sudden... He cries out with a loud voice, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What's that about, man? What's that about? They hear it is finished. It is finished. Then all of a sudden, there's an earthquake. And the ground shakes. They're in utter darkness and the ground is shaking and the earth is convulsing. Rocking back and forth. And that brings us to where we're at. It says, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. And it said in verse 54, Now when the centurion and they that were with him, that means those other soldiers, so they were together in this deal. Watching Jesus saw the earthquake, those things that were done, they feared greatly. This was not a fear over some natural event. This was not a fear because there was an earthquake. Earthquakes had happened before, but they knew there was something different about this man. They knew there was something different about these events. They knew that this is coming from another world. And the Bible says they feared greatly. First thing we see, we see conviction. We see conviction. They begin to see themselves as God seen them. How many of y'all remember Isaiah? You remember in Isaiah? It says, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. And what did he do? He said, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. He saw his sin. And for probably the first time 
in them soldiers' lives, they saw their sin. They saw and they felt and they understood and they recognized that they was in the presence of holiness. And when you find yourself in the presence of holiness, all you can feel is your sinfulness. They feared greatly. But then it says, not only do we see their conviction, but we see their confession. Their confession. It says... They feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. What was this? This was the same thing that Peter did. How many of y'all remember when Peter was asked a question, who do men say that I am? Jesus has the disciples there at Caesarea Philippi. And, and, and listen, for, 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 for uh, uh, several, several uh, 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 let's say a couple years, maybe into the third year, Peter has seen all kinds of miracles, but all of a sudden he says, who do you say that I am? Well, he says, who do men say that I am? He said, well, some think you're John the Baptist come back from the dead. Some think you're Elijah. Uh, some think you're just a prophet. He said, but who do you say that I am? And guess what? We all will have to come to the place where we'll have to answer that question. And who is Jesus to us? When it comes to you, it doesn't matter who I think he is. It doesn't matter who your mama thinks he is. It doesn't matter who your daddy thinks he is. It doesn't matter who your family thinks he is. Who do you think he is? And they said, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, we believe that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And watch the response that Jesus gives him. Here's here's the deal. This is what's so important. He said, flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee. But my Father which is in heaven. In other words, the only way that you could come to that truth, the only way that you could come to that understanding and that belief is that the Holy Spirit has to reveal it to you. What are you saying? I'm saying this. The Holy Spirit opened the heart of Peter and showed him that he was in the presence of holiness and this is the Son of God in that moment, in that place, on a hill called Calvary, on a hill far away. There were soldiers at the foot of a dead Savior and God brought them into an understanding of who he is. And because of that revelation, they said, this is the Son of God. And they were saved. They were saved, gloriously saved. I know some of you doubting. But the third thing I want to show you is confirmation. Confirmation. There was conviction. And by the way, you'll never have a confession until you're under conviction. You, You can't get saved when you want to. Well, I tell you what, I'm going to sow my wild oats and when I get old, I'm going to come to God. You young people don't ever think that. That's so arrogant and that's ignorant. Unless the Father draws them, they can't come. The Holy Spirit has to bring conviction from the Word. You say, well, where'd they hear the Word? They heard the Word from the Word. Anyway, I'll come back to that. But under conviction, they had a confession. Truly, this was the Son of God. Why do you believe they were saved? Because in Luke 23, in Luke 23, verse 48, it says, Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. What does that mean to glorify God? He broke out into little praise and worship. Can you imagine this? Now, we know, we know by Matthew that the centurion's speaking, but he's speaking for those with him. That's them other soldiers. The ones that beat him. Y'all with me? Now, let me, let, me, let me give you a little church tradition and historian tradition. And I, I, don't have, I don't have no... Bible for it, but, but as we sometimes will read behind, you know, uh, older historians like Josephus and different writers, and Nicodemus was one of them. Nicodemus wrote some writings, and according to Nicodemus, Longinus was the, was the centurion. How many of y'all remember that later on that they tried to pay, and they did pay certain, 
certain soldiers to, to lie and say that the disciples come and stole the body after the resurrection. Well, according to tradition, Longinus wasn't going to go for that. Because he's a, he's a new believer. And he refused. And he ended up quitting the military. And according to tradition, I'm just telling you according to tradition, him and, 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 and a couple of the soldiers that were with him left the military and went to Cappadocia. And there in Cappadocia, they began to preach the gospel and spread the gospel and tell everybody they could about the one and the, the one they witnessed and what they had saw. And, and, and Christianity began to spread like wildfire from Cappadocia. And the Jews in Jerusalem heard about it and they told Pilate and Pilate sent a death squad to, to execute and to kill Longinus. According to tradition, Longinus welcomed them into his village. They didn't know who he was. He brought them into his own house and showed them hospitality and fed them. And they revealed to him their assignment. And he revealed to them who he was. And boy, they began to, we don't want to do this. They begged him to flee, to run. So we're not running. Do what you have to do. According to tradition, against their own will, they beheaded him and he became a martyr. That's centurion. Now, do I know if that, all that's true? Not sure. Not sure. But do you believe they got saved? Absolutely sure. They begin to glorify God. Listen, there can be people who have professions. But real worship comes from a real believer. They glorified God. They worshiped Him. Now, the ripped veil declared accessibility to God. Say that with me. It, it declared... Does everybody see that? We can it, Listen, guys. Listen, guys. Everybody stay with me now. Stay with me. Stay with me. Hope I'm not boring you, but watch this now. It wasn't so God could get out. It was so. I'm sorry, I can't help it. I know me. I know my weaknesses. I know I don't deserve to get in. But I got access. Say amen. Don't get all sideways, people. David danced before the Lord. That was my happy dance, all right? And matter of fact, if you got a problem with it, Michael had a problem, or Michelle, however you want to say his wife's name, she had a problem, and, 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 and God got on to her. So now, <clears throat> all right, we have access to God. So what does this tell us? What, what, is, what is the soldiers being converted and the soldiers praising God and glorifying God? Not only, not only do we have access to God, but we, there's an availability of salvation. Now think about this. What's the, what's the big deal? The big deal is if he can save the very ones that nailed his darling son to the cross... He can save you. He can save me. The very worst of the worst. You see, the cross was the darkest event in the history of mankind. It, it, it was, it's been said this way. The cross is man at his worst and God at his best. So if this is man at its worst and the men that did the worst could experience grace and forgiveness. It's kind of like what Paul said. Paul said, I'm saved because, you know, God made me an example. God made me a pattern. You remember Paul was killing Christians? 
wreaking havoc, mangling him. The, what, the terminology that's used is as, a, as, a, as, as an animal would mangle its prey. That's what Paul was doing to the early church, the movement. He said, if God can save me, he can save anybody. Now take, take back, go back a minute, if you can. Go back to last week. Do y'all remember the feelings you had when you saw the looks on those, those soldiers as they were beating the Lord? It looked like evil personified. And you wanted to stand up for him. You wanted to defend him. You wanted to say, stop! But God said, I forgive you. And if God forgive them, he can forgive anybody. Church, say amen. I got another one. Watch this. I got to hurry. Oh, boy. Now watch this. And behold, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent. And the graves were what? Open. And many bodies of the saints which slept, what they do? And came out of the graves. Did y'all see them dead people walking a while ago? Some of y'all probably didn't know what that was. Why they got them angels walking across there? You know what I mean? They weren't angels, they were Old Testament saints, amen? I'm talking about Jesus died. He's not even off the cross. This happens. All of this happens. Everything that we're talking about right now, it happens simultaneously. The the veil rips, the soldiers get saved, and, and dead people come out the ground. Jesus ain't even off the cross. What is that? What, what, what's that about? Now let me, let me say this just so we're on the same page here. They came out of the ground. They did not present themselves in Jerusalem till after Jesus resurrected three days later. Because Jesus is the first fruits. He's going to be the first out of all of them. These These saints had their glorified body. These saints came back together. I don't know exactly which saints it was. It didn't say. It wasn't all of them. It was certain ones. And after the resurrection, the Bible says they came into Jerusalem and showed themselves. In other words, there was people in Jerusalem who knew who they were and knew they'd done been dead a while. What would you think? What would you think if you're sitting there, your door opens, and Uncle Cletus, who died 30 years ago, walks through the door? See, some of y'all don't have a good enough imagination to get all the goody out of the Bible. Y'all got to tighten up a little bit. This is what happened. You reckon it gets your attention? They're in a glorified body. What's a glorified body? The Bible says in 1 John, it does not yet appear what we shall be, but when we see him, we shall be like him. How was he in a glorified body when Jesus came out of the ground? Listen, he was able to eat fish. Jesus ate a fish sandwich, people. With his glorified body. Why? Listen, while he had the ability to walk through walls. That's right. What's that glorified body going to be? It ain't going to have glasses. I'll tell you that right now. No canes. No insulin. No chemo. Let me, let me describe it to you. Let me describe it to you. Hurry. Watch this. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In other words, when Jesus comes back, some of us have gone already been dead, and some of us are still going to be alive. But regardless, when he comes back, we're all going to change. Now watch, now watch. It says, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, 
at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal shall must put on immortality. Preacher, what's the point? The moment a baby is born, they are corrupt and they begin to decay. Every human, the moment you arrive, you begin to die. You begin the process of dying. Do you realize a new car never stays new? A new house never stays new. A new body never stays young. We are all corruptible because we're filled with corruption. Our bodies are cursed. The earth is cursed. And one day, I don't care who you are, you're not going to postpone this. I don't care how much surgery you have. You're going to go back to the dust where God created you. But there is coming a good, glad, getting up day when that which is corruptible shall put on incorruption, that which is mortal shall put on immortality, and we shall be changed in a moment and a twinkling of an eye. What's it going to be like? I don't know, but we're going to be like him. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but when we see him, we shall be like him. I got some more. Watch this right here. 1 Thessalonians 4.15 For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, and they, that they which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. With the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to be with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. With the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise. You say, why are they rising first? They got six feet to go. And we're going to be joined together. Every one of your family members that's waiting on you. Everyone that's gone before you. Every single one that's died in the Lord. Listen, we're going to be, re before we ever are reunited with Christ, we're going to be reunited with them. You know, all them songs are really cool and all that says, I just want to see Jesus. But I tell you what, I want to see Grandma. I'm ready to see my friends. I'm ready to see my loved ones. And according to that scripture, I will see them. I will see them like I will see Jesus in a glorified body, an incorruptible body, an immortal body, a body that will never, ever die or be corrupted again. Say amen. Now watch. 1 Corinthians 15, 17. Watch this now. Watch this. <clears throat> if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sin. In other words, if Jesus didn't come back out of the ground, we'd be in trouble. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. In other words, when death takes place, it's all over. If Christ didn't get up. If in this life only we have hope in Christ. He was, excuse me, he was dealing with people that didn't believe in the resurrection. He said, if only hope we had was in this life. This is so important for you to get this third point. If all the hope we ever had was in this life, in our past and in our present, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. In other words, them that died. What is the first fruit? When they would bring the first fruit offerings, listen, the first fruit was saying, this is a little bit of more to come. And when Jesus rose from the dead, all those who got up out of them graves at his death came into Jerusalem with him. Jesus leading the 
the charge because he's the first fruit of many to come. What? I got a minute. This declares access, access to God. This declares availability of salvation. Watch, 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 watch. Past. Can we get saved today? So this is access to God was given to us in the Salvation is available in the dead people coming out the ground with a glorified body. Future. God is giving you a little taste of what's to come. A picture of what we have to look forward to. You see, that was access, this is availability, and this is anticipation. That if we happen to die, not looking to that. I'm not looking for an undertaker, I'm looking for the upper taker. <clears throat> I heard a preacher say, I'm not looking for a hole in the ground, I'm looking for a hole in the sky. But if I go by way of the grave, because of Calvary. Because of a hill far away. Because of Calvary, I have access to God. Because of Calvary, I have an available salvation. Because of Calvary, I can anticipate an immortal life to come. All because of Calvary. All because of the cross. How many times on Easter have we just jumped from the cross to the tomb and missed this beautiful picture? That's cool, ain't it? <laughs> I don't care if I did do it. It's good, amen. He's so awesome. You know what is just blowing my mind? Is how often I've read that a million zillion times. And God has constantly given us something new. You'll never exhaust the depth and the riches of God's word. Man, I can't wait to see what's going to happen next week. We ain't even made it to the tomb yet. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. Y'all pray. Y'all pray that next time when God gives me an idea that he gives me time. <clears throat> Not for me, but for them. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you.